As a boy, I remember the time when I first realized something that was just so profound to me. And that is, there are electronic signals everywhere through the air, but you can't feel them or touch them. But you can turn on a radio or use an antenna on a TV and pick up those electronic signals. Now, they're there all the time. But I remember just being amazed that though they're there, I have no sense of them being there. I, I don't know they're there unless you have the proper apparatus to pick them up. And then you realize suddenly that they've been there all along. You just didn't have a way to sense them, to pick them up. Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, as we grow in our faith and we get to know him better and we understand more of the reality of heaven, we begin to realize that heaven is not a place that's far off in heaven, you know, up there somewhere where there's angels floating around on clouds and, and all. We, we understand that from the scriptures that heaven is really all around us. The kingdom of God is already here. Jesus said, it is among you, it's here, it's all around us. But most of the time we have a hard time picking it up, the signals. We, it surrounds us, but we cannot tell it's there. The kingdom of God is here now, but it's invisible. So how do we enter in? How do we pick up the signals? How do we learn to be part of that kingdom of God while we are trapped in this earth? How do we tune in to what God is doing? How do we find that frequency to understand that heaven is around us all the time? And how do we learn to live with one foot in each dimension, in the dimension of heaven that is around us and this earthly dimension as well? It's hard because we live in this world, physical world, that's full of laundry and dishes and work and bills, and clothing, snow to shovel, cars, difficult relationships, broken families. Just the reality that we live in this physical world and it's so real to us that it overwhelms us sometimes. And heaven, though it's all around us, can seem really far away. What can bridge that gap? What can allow us to tune in? Well, in a word... It's prayer. Prayer is the bridge between heaven and earth. Prayer is what allows us to tune into what God is doing all around us all the time. It's the apparatus that allows us to hear what God is doing right in the midst of everyday life all around us. To use another illustration, I've always loved the ocean and I remember being out on a boat and, and just the vastness of it and the incredible mystery of it. But the first time that I was able to put on snorkeling gear and look underneath amazed me. There's so much life there that you have no idea that's there until you're able to look underneath. When you're snorkeling, you're in a sense connected to the air above, but you're seeing and connected to the visible world below. Well, prayer is what allows us, it's the apparatus that allows us to see underneath what God is doing, to see how heaven is at work all around us, the life, the spiritual life that's happening all around us. Prayer is that place where heaven 
and earth intersect. It's how we keep a foot in both worlds. So I want to challenge all of us to deepen and expand our prayer lives in 2008. Now, I'm very aware that anytime you bring up prayer, usually what people experience, first of all, is guilt. <laughs> well, I know I should pray more. Yeah, I know, but I'm just not very good at it, and it's hard to find time. And We know we should be better at prayer, but we're not very good at it, most of us. I really think what we need isn't more exhortations to pray. Go out there and pray more. Because we've heard those and they haven't really helped, have they? I think what we need is a whole new perspective about prayer. We need to think differently about prayer than we ever have. And I really think that's the message of the Lord's Prayer. That's what we want to look at this morning. Because I think in the Lord's Prayer... God is giving us a whole different look than we normally look at when we look at prayer. He wants to look, us to look at it differently. Now, I'd like to begin right now with us saying the Lord's Prayer together. Many of us come from traditions where we set it as part of our traditions. And so let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors, our debts. Yeah, <laughs> I was confused. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So many of you have memorized it. Some of you... Like me, I learned trespasses and then debts and debtors. And, but we, we've said it, and much of the world says it every Sunday. It's traditional. And I've been in traditions like that. But I think few of us really understand what Jesus was trying to communicate as he taught the disciples the Lord's Prayer. So let's see if we can begin to kind of get a grasp of it and let God speak to us in a new way and maybe prompt us not so much to just say a prayer, but maybe to become praying people, which is really what Jesus is after, that we might become praying people. I want to look together in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll beginning in, be beginning in verse 7, where Jesus sets the stage as he's talking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, verse 7, And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus begins right here by challenging, I think, the typical way we tend to look at prayer. The way we tend to approach it. Let me give you my own experience. I I know for a long time, before I was a Christian and even after I was a believer, I would think of the things I really wanted to have happen for me and for my family, whomever, and I would pray about those things. Lord, help this person with their health. Help me do well on this test, Lord. Uh, help so-and-so to get a good job. 
pray for these certain blessings, pray for my financial issues, pray for health. You know, all those things we really want to have happen, to have our lives go the way we would like them to go. And I would pray those prayers, and so often it would seem like nothing would happen. So I would pray harder. And I would think if I just pray hard enough, maybe that's how I would get the answers to the prayer that I, prayers that I'm looking for. And I would pray harder for what I felt like I needed. And if I didn't get what I wanted, I would tend to blame myself. I must not have prayed in the right way or with enough faith or hard enough, fervently enough. It couldn't be God's fault. Somehow I'm not doing it right. It must be my fault. But after doing that for long enough, what tends to happen to many of us as Christians, and I've met many Christians and it happened to me, was after a while you just begin to feel like, you know, why pray? It doesn't really make any difference. Whether I pray or not, the same things seem to happen to me. So why pray? Why pray at all? It doesn't work. So most of us, I think, many believers at least, basically quit praying. Oh, we'll pray as a duty. We'll pray over our meals because we ought to. We, but it, deep in our hearts, really seeking God, we kind of quit because it doesn't work. Well, as you read this passage, don't you see that what Jesus is saying is that kind of prayer is what he calls pagan prayer or Gentile prayer is another translation. It's really talking about the unbelieving world. This is the way unbelievers approach prayer. You Try to express your need and you say it as many different ways as you can, as much as you can, and somehow try to get God to respond. And if God doesn't respond, then you are frustrated. It essentially sees prayer as a vending machine. If I can just put in the right combination of change, of prayers, then God will respond to give me what I want. And you know what Jesus says about that? He says, don't be like them. Don't pray that way. Don't approach God in that way. But I'll admit, there's been a a big part of my life where I really kind of gave up on prayer. Except as a duty as a believer and as a pastor, of course. (laughs) But let me tell you this. Over the last few years, as I've spent time in the Lord's Prayer, God has spoken to me and changed my perspective on prayer, and it really has transformed the way I pray. So let's look together at what he says. Now, we're looking in Matthew chapter 6. The parallel passage is in Luke chapter 11, where the disciples actually come to Jesus. And the Lord's Prayer is given there as well in Luke chapter 11. And they come to Jesus at that point, and they see that he's prayed and prayed and prayed, and they watch him pray, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they want to learn to pray like he does. They saw his prayer life and they want to learn to pray. But notice they don't say, Lord, give us a good prayer that we can repeat over and over again. They don't say that. They say, teach us to pray. 
Help us learn to become praying people. So the Lord's Prayer is not meant, I'm not saying it's wrong in traditions to repeat it, but, but it's not meant essentially to be just words that we, we repeat. It's meant to give us a perspective of life and of the kingdom of God and who God is and what He's doing that will move us to become people of prayer. Isn't that a lot different than the way we look at it? So let's look together at what he says. There's three parts to this prayer as I see it. First, there's a focus on who God is. Now notice again, verse 9, Jesus says this. This then is how you should pray. Again, he doesn't say, this is what you should pray. Say these words. No, he doesn't say that. And, and we know that's not what he wants. But he's, this is how you should pray. This is, this is the approach you should take when you come before God's throne. First is the address, when you address God, is to focus on who He is. First line is this, Our Father in Heaven. NIV translation. Our Father who art in Heaven. More traditional way to say it. Focus on God as Father. You are Father. In the Aramaic that Jesus was speaking in, it was probably the word Abba, Daddy. Daddy. It's a picture of intimacy, of protection, of love, of care. John Stott puts it this way. Using this word emphasizes the fact that God is personal, He is loving, and He is powerful. He is personally involved in our lives like a father with a child. He is loving, caring for us, and He is powerful. He has the means to care for us and to provide for us. Aren't these all the things we've wanted in our earthly father? We've wanted Him to be personal and loving and powerful. And all of our earthly fathers have fallen short in various ways. All of them. But God is the father that we've all longed for. He leads us by the hand to where we need to go, takes care of our needs because He knows them before we do. He provides for us. He cares for us. You see, a a father has a passion for their child to care for them. Last night I was at a basketball game. My son was playing. There was a point in which a call was made against my son that looked very unjust. I misunderstood the call, but to me it appeared like it was very unjust. And let me just say I was passionate. (laughs) I had some dear brothers sitting behind me. Dad, calm down. (laughs) That's what a father does for a son. There's injustice. He, He wants to protect him. He wants to be there. And God is that kind of father who's passionate about you, who loves you and wants the best for you. And because He's powerful and protective and loving, He will make sure your needs are taken care of. When you address God as Father, what you're saying is, Lord, I believe that You care enough about me and You are powerful enough that You will take care of my needs. When I was a child, I didn't spend a lot of time worrying about, oh no, what are we going to have for dinner? And, and are we going to have food 
for the table and, and is our electric bill going to get paid for? And, you know, all those things, those basic needs, am I going to have a roof over my head? And all those things I didn't worry about. Why? Because my parents were taking care of it. My father was providing for me. So I didn't have to worry about it. That's the perspective here that Jesus wants us to have with our Heavenly Father. Our perspective needs to be, you're my Father, you're taking care of me, so I really don't have to worry a lot about my needs. So your prayer becomes not so much concerned about getting my needs met, but resting in who He is. Calling God Father and realizing all that means frees us from worrying about the everyday needs of life. Now, Jesus is just giving us an example, I think, of looking at God as Father. There's many other names for God you could look at, but Father, I think, is a key central one, but you could look at God as God Almighty, as God as Provider, El Shaddai. I mean, there's a lot of different names. I, I begin my prayer every morning when I wake up in the morning. I say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And then I go through each of those and just think about what that means. What, what does it mean that you're my Father? What does it mean that you are the Lord Jesus who died for me? What does it mean that you're the Holy Spirit who lives in me, that I can depend on your life? So Father doesn't have to be the only name you use, but you begin by focusing on who God is. It begins to transform your prayer. Notice it begins with our Father. I just think this is significant. All the way through this prayer, it's plural. We tend to think of prayer as me and God. God do this for me. My Father. But Jesus is teaching us to always keep in mind as we pray that we are part of a large family, that He's not just my Father, but He's your Father and your Father and your Father. And that means we are a family together. And that means as I pray, I'm going to keep you in mind. Because what affects you affects me. We're family. We all have the same Father. He's called every one of you and He loves you as much as He loves me. And He loves me as much as He loves you. And it's healthy to always keep that in mind. It means I'm committed to you. Then the address says this, Who art in heaven or our Father in heaven? Calling God Father emphasizes that He is imminent, as theologians say. He's present with us. He's personal. He's involved in our lives. He cares about every detail in our lives. But to say, you're our Father in heaven, reminds us that He is also mysterious. He is infinite. He is beyond us. He's revealed Himself to us, what He wants us to know, but we can't see everything about God. He is far beyond us. He is transcendent. He is almighty. We can understand very little of Him ultimately, only what He's revealed to us. You see, to call God our Father in heaven is a balanced view of God. And the church throughout history has kind of lost that balance, but Jesus gives us this prayer to keep those in tension all the time. Think about the Middle Ages and the kind of churches that were built. If you've ever been to Europe and seen some of those cathedrals, they have vast, high ceilings. And you walk in and you feel tiny. 
And there's spires everywhere on the outside and these arches pointing to heaven. It's a reminder that God is way beyond us. He is vast. But they had a very hard time seeing God as personal. But we build churches today, certainly in America, very utilitarian, very functional. Because God's, hey, he's with us and we're doing things for God and we, we tend to lose that transcendence. So this prayer helps us remember both sides of God to keep him in balance. So prayer is best when it begins by a focus on who God is, especially his father. He's our father who cares for us and therefore we are a family together. He is awesome. He is powerful. He is loving. He is personal. Then Jesus moves on in the prayer to the six major requests he gives us. But they're divided really into two parts, I think. The first three, in verses 9 and 10, ask for God's reign on earth, his kingdom to come, in other words. Three related requests. First one is this, hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? You know, I said that many, many times before I even really thought about what that meant. And most of us don't know, really. It's, it's really 16th century English that's just by tradition been passed down. But really, what does it mean to say, hallowed be thy name? Well, really what it means, it's a request from God that says, may your name be treated as holy. May your name be honored. That is, you're an awesome God who deserves praise. May you be seen for who you really are. May you be honored. Maybe you've been in a conversation like this where you're standing around and, and basketball comes up and somebody says, mentions Michael Jordan. And someone says, who's Michael Jordan? And you go, what? You don't know who Michael Jordan is? He's the greatest basketball player that ever played. He won all kinds of NBA championships. Amazing player. He could won many games by scoring at the end. And he was called Air Jordan, Air Highness, because he could jump so high and shift. And wow, he's amazing. So here's someone who doesn't really know Michael Jordan's name, and you are honoring it. <laughs> you are treating it as holy. Well, that's... That's what the request is. Lord, I want everyone to know you for who you are. I want your name to be honored when your name is said. I don't want it to be as a swear word. I want it to be as, wow, God, the Father, Lord, Creator, you are amazing. And that's the request, that His name might be honored. Then he says, second request, your kingdom come. What's this mean? What we saw last week as we were looking at the coming of Jesus, the promised coming of Jesus, that he really came to be king and he was crowned as king when he rose from the dead. He reigns as king now. But not everywhere. His kingdom is largely invisible. So to pray this says, Lord, I want your kingdom to come. I want your reign to be spread throughout this world. I want you to reign everywhere. May you arrive on earth and ultimately may you reign forever and ever. But when you pray this prayer, you've got to realize when you say, may your kingdom come, 
It's a prayer that really is a prayer of submission because you're saying, may you reign in my life. May your kingdom come in my life. May you take over those areas of life that I've been hanging on to myself. May you reign personally in my life and in my family, Lord. You see, to really think about may your kingdom come means, Lord, I want you to reign everywhere my life touches. I want you to reign in our church, Lord. I want you to be king of every person in our church. I want you to be Lord of the elders, and I want you to guide the elders and direct them. I want you to be king here. And Lord, I want you to be king over the whole world. Your authority is greater than any place. I want you to reign over our nation's leaders. I want you to reign over Pakistan where Benazir Bhutto just was assassinated. Lord, you are king and you reign over that. I want you to be king over everything. I, want, I long for your kingdom to come over the nations. And when I see tragedies in Sudan or Congo or Iraq or L.A. or wherever, Lord, I want you to reign in that situation. I want you to be king. It really is a prayer of submission. It's a prayer that says, reign in my life and use me to spread your kingdom everywhere I go. You see how radical and powerful and transforming this is? (laughs) When you really pray, your kingdom come. This week I was talking to one of our custodians here at the church. His name is Joe. He was saying, yeah, uh, I want to tell you a story. And I said, okay, tell me. And he said, well, this, this guy came to work on the carpet at our church. And he's LDS, Mormon. And so we started talking and we started, you know, and and as you talk to a Mormon, everything sounds exactly the same, right? Because they say similar words to say similar things. You probably, if you've talked to Mormons, you've had that experience. But Joe said, yeah, so this is what I said to him. I said, you know what? There is a huge difference. And he said, well, what's that? He said, let me show you. So we picked up a Bible and he said, look at John chapter 3. Look where Jesus says, you must be born again. You see, biblical Christianity is about Jesus coming to live inside you and being your life. So you have a new life to live, depending on him. And the guy says, wow, I've never heard that. That is different. He said, I'd like to read more about that. And Joe said, do you have a Bible? He said, no. He said, let me give you one. (laughs) Joe gave him a Bible. Didn't hear from him again. He calls him on Christmas Eve. He calls Joe. He says, I want to thank you because you've helped change my life. He said, I've been reading my Bible. And you know what? I'm going to a church, 10-mile community church, and I'm learning about Jesus. There's Joe just doing his work, right? But he's saying, Lord, may your kingdom come. Maybe in this guy's life. I want to be available. You see, when you pray that prayer, you're saying, let your kingdom come through me, in me, around me. Then the third prayer that's focusing on his kingdom coming is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's similar. It's a recognition that that he reigns in the heavenly realms. He is king, but we need him to reign here on earth. And it's saying, Lord, I want your will to be done. I want what you want to have happen to happen. Not necessarily what I want to have happen. 
Even as Jesus had to pray, not my will, I don't want to go to the cross, but your will be done. You see, it's a prayer that transforms our thinking from, Lord, here's what I want. I want my will to be done. And, you know, that's again the pagan way to pray. But he wants us to pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Your will is better than mine. You understand better. And it recognizes, when you pray this, your will be done on earth, it recognizes that much of what happens on earth is not God's will. God doesn't want the evil that happens and the abuse and the destruction and harm and the pain and the injury, the brutality, the evil. It's not His will. It's evil and it's out of a rejection of God. It's a recognition of that. Lord, there's things wrong in this world and we don't like it. But when you say, Lord, let your will be done, you're saying, Lord, bring life, hope, justice, truth, healing in this world. And if you want, use me. That's really what's behind this kind of prayer. So the first three requests all center on seeking what God wants. Not what I want. (laughs) Lord, may your name be treated with honor. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. It sets our priorities and our focus in our lives. Just like when you come to a new company, you got a new job, and you're there kind of thinking, yeah, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to... I'm, it's all about me. I'm going to make good money. I'm going to climb the ladder. I'm going to, and you have an orientation. And they say, you know, if you're going to really be successful here, you need to be part of the company and see the company's goals and where we're going and join in. And this part of the prayer helps us to join in, to be part of more than just ourselves and God, but that there's a kingdom being established and we can be part of it. So the third part of the prayer, the next three requests, focus on our part in spreading the kingdom. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Now this is a hard one because it sounds like you're asking for food and God's our Father, He already knows our needs. Well, many scholars translate this a little different. There's a word here, the word for daily, that's really hard to translate, but typically what it means is tomorrow. In other words, I think a better translation is give us tomorrow's bread today. Tomorrow's bread. And that word tomorrow is often used of talking about when the kingdom does come, ultimately. I think what he's saying is he's saying, Lord, we need the resources of heaven now. I need, we need you in us now. We need your resources now. If we're going to live for your kingdom We need you to live in us now. And ultimately, what you're asking for is the Spirit and the Spirit's power. Give us tomorrow's bread today. Help us feed on you and your life today because we need it now. Help us depend on you and experience your life now. It comes really from knowing that what spreads the kingdom is Jesus' life in us, not us, it's Him. So it's asking for Jesus to live his life through us. The next phrase, the next request, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think this is wonderful because what it recognizes is that the true mark of the kingdom of God, 
being present among us is forgiveness. What's the one thing that Jesus asks us to do regularly as the body of Christ gathered together? Take the Lord's Supper, right? And what is the Lord's Supper? It's a reminder of our forgiveness because of Jesus going to the cross. We need to always remember that our relationship with him is always based on forgiveness so that whenever we struggle and fail, which we all do, we are immediately forgiven. The relationship is not broken. And what you're asking here is forgive us our sins. As we forgive others, Lord, you forgive us immediately and we will forgive others as well. We long to forgive others. We help us to forgive others as you forgive us. You see, they're interconnected. If Jesus has forgiven me, I need to forgive you. It's a recognition that the kingdom of God among the body of Christ, the primary characteristic needs to be forgiveness. Notice what that means. It recognizes that you are going to sin against me. And I am going to sin against you. Because we're fallen creatures. But that I will forgive you because how in the world can I hold it against you when God's forgiven you already and forgiven me as well. The world deals with hurt, sin against one another, with either tolerance, that's no big deal, or judgment. But in the kingdom of God, it's different. We deal with hurts and pains. Ultimately, we should, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, through forgiveness. Through saying, having an attitude of, you know what, when you hurt me, I want to extend the kingdom of God towards you, which means I will forgive you and I will not hold it against you because I want to be a tool of God's kingdom. Oh, I'd like to hang on to it. I'd like to take that resentment and I'd like to feed it and let it grow and grow and grow and let it kind of take over my life because that feels good. But you know what? I want to be part of the kingdom of God. So, Lord... Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let me forgive those who hurt me and let me experience the fullness of your forgiveness of me. That's powerful. Of course, one of the greatest recent examples of that was the shooting in the Amish schoolhouse when they extended forgiveness to those who had killed their children to this man and his family. And that was a powerful statement of the kingdom of God coming to earth and we can be tools of that. And this prayer says, I want to be a tool of that. Anybody who hurts me, I want to extend your forgiveness to them. The final request, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Two-sided request. It recognizes that evil is real, but God has power over it, and I need his protection and his help in the battle. Yes, we are tempted. Yes, we struggle in this world because this world is dark. But it, this prayer is a recognition that if I'm going to be part of your kingdom, God, and the expansion of it, then I need you to protect me, to guard me, to give me your strength in the battle. You see, all these requests point us to him and his kingdom and being part of it. The Lord's Prayer doesn't give us words to pray as much as a way of viewing life. There's a kingdom there that we can be part of and we're praying it to come in our lives and in our world. Prayer is the way we pick up the signals of heaven and begin to walk in that kingdom even as we deal with laundry. (laughs) 
and car breakdowns and bills and all that we face here. I want to close this in prayer, and I want to pray just through part of the Lord's Prayer, just give you a picture maybe of how to expand on it, to let it be something you meditate on and think about. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you that you've adopted us into your family through Jesus. We choose now to honor you as Father. Thank you for your loving protection and your awesome power and that you meet our daily needs, Lord, that we, we feel so strongly. As your children, may our words and our lives bring honor to your name. And Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done. We submit to you. May you reign in our homes, in our families, in our relationships. And may you bring justice and righteousness to our broken world. May our government's leaders be led by you. And may you bring an end to the genocide in the Congo and other places around the world. Use us in any way you want to. We long for justice, for righteousness, for shalom, for wholeness. And Lord, live through us. May others see you in us. Help us to depend on you daily so your kingdom can be visible in us. And help us to forgive those who sin against us as you forgive us daily. May others experience your love and forgiveness in how we love and forgive them. And rescue us from evil, Lord. We struggle and sin and we need your protection every minute. May we walk in your goodness and may you get all the glory for it. For you have all power. You are the true king. We love and submit to you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.